Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. Blitz Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gallo, for a week 15 episode. That means we're heading to the playoffs. Harley? Playoffs? Playoffs? What are you talking about playoffs? Playoffs. You know what? The people that play fantasy now, I wonder if they even know who that is. Well, considering how badly I butchered the accent, they'll have a harder time figuring it out. Yeah, but that's like Iverson saying practice. (laughs) We're talking about practice? Like, you don't even have to have it down. Just got to say it. Practice? We're talking about practice. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. <laughs> and they did because they should have won that game. All right, so now... Here's all I've got to say. Someone posted something on Twitter today. Apparently, uh, Rex Ryan made a comment about uh, being an expert on toe issues. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Um, okay. They were talking about Aaron Rodgers suffering damage to his toe in the game last night. <laughs> uh, well, they had a guy in the stands that could have come in and played for him. Um, okay, so let's give the people the three names of the coaches we were talking about, but not tell them who or what they were known for, and then they can go look up and figure out which ones were which. Actually, I say three, but Allen Iverson was one of them. So one, one is <laughs> Allen Iverson, and then two others are coaches. So go ahead and name the coaches for people to look up. You go right ahead. Denny Green. Denny Green, yep. And somebody's dad. <laughs> oh, sorry. I got cat in my way here. <laughs> Cat's trying to answer. Um, I just forgot his name. His dad, his son coaches in, in the college ranks. He's not very good. Jim. Help me out, brother. Oh, sorry. I'm still distracted by the cat. <laughs> I'll send my dogs over there. Um, Jim Mora is the name. Jim Mora yes. Sr. So check out Jim Mora and Denny Green and Alan Iverson. Go to YouTube and see if you can find who owns which clip. Yeah, I think that most people will be able to figure it out pretty easily. But uh, it's uh, it's three very common, as you can say, commonly memed bits. Yeah. I got a question for you. What percentage of people playing fantasy football today were not even old enough to go to a PG-13 movie when Priest Holmes was playing? Oh, let's see. That's about 10 years, 12 years ago now. So, so it'd be 23 now. So. I'd say most people probably start playing fantasy football uh, for the first time when they're about 15 or 16. So yeah, I'd say probably 20%. I think that might be a little bit low. I'd probably put it closer to 50. Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, who knows? I mean, some of us started playing fantasy football when we were like eight. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, sometimes, Although actually, I, I, start, I started actually playing fantasy baseball. At eight, I started playing fantasy football at the uh, much, much elder age of 13. So 
it was it was a little bit longer for for me from a fantasy football standpoint, but uh, I got really hooked on rotisserie style baseball really really early on. So the funny thing is, one I was a late bloomer. I, I don't know, probably in my late twenties, early thirties when I started playing fantasy. Um, but I'm a former baseball player. Never once have I played fantasy baseball. <laughs> Not a single time. Never had a desire to for some reason. It's been football and that's it. I, I, I have no comment on that. I really don't know. I guess, I mean, I, I enjoyed collecting baseball cards when I was a child. So did I. And I think that had a lot to do with that. I, I was also kind of a little bit OCD on that and that I had to have all of the cards. I had to complete the sets. Yeah. So it allowed me to get all the cards. I had to look at the backs and to make sure that they're all in numerical order. When I was storing them, and as I'm doing that, I'd, I'd start to look at the stats. And I think looking at the stats in the back of the sports cards is what first got me really intrigued by uh, statistical performances of professional athletes. That's probably the same for me, honestly. And that's where I learned my worthless trivia things that you would learn on the backs of those tops <laughs> cards, right? Um, with the stale gum. Yes, people, baseball cards used to come with gum in them. Sticks that broke like glass. Um but yeah, and I, used I to chipped do, many a tooth on those growing up. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I did. I read them all, and you, you wanted to collect your favorite players from your favorite team. It didn't matter, you know, if they were good or not. But as long as they played for your favorite team, um, so I've got tons of Philly cards. But I do have some, some from other players and stuff like that too. I'm sure you got a couple of uh, Mike Schmitz in among your collection there, then, right? I've got some. Maybe Schmitz a Darren and- Dalton rookie card. No, no Dalton rookies, but um, I've got, let's see, plenty of Von Hayes cards, unfortunately. I do have some Pete Rose cards from the Philly days, which, of course, aren't really worth much. Um, But you know what? My my most favorite, maybe, slash most expensive Philly card I own is a basketball card. Oh. I used to collect cards, and I'd buy baseball 99% of the time. Occasionally, I'd buy a football pack here and there. I bought one pack of basketball cards one time. One pack. That's it. One wax. You hit, you hit a Julius Irving? No. It was the year that Fleer came out with their cards where if you got a Michael Jordan, you're like rich today, right? Yeah. I did not get a Jordan. I have a Charles Barkley rookie from the Fleer set. That's a good card. Yeah. And normally back then, I actually would buy cases, and it was pretty cheap. I actually remember buying it at a store called J.J. Newberry which was kind of like a Kmart, if you've ever heard of it, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it couldn't have been that expensive, but for some reason I only bought one. Had I bought a case, the likelihood of getting a Jordan or two was probably pretty good. Well, and so for me, it was uh, my mom worked at the dinette at the Woolworths in downtown Minneapolis. So nice. we'd go down to the Woolworths every once in a while uh, to see her as children and the basement level is a two-story Woolworths, which is really, you don't see a lot of out in the world. But we'd go down there, and they always had the 45-cent 45 records. So I got myself quite a few 45s when I was a younger younger child. But they also had, like, the three-for-a-dollar packs of Tops and Fleer and Don Roos. Yeah. Uh, back then, there was Upper Deck and uh, trying to think of some of the other. Uh, Opeche was out for a little while. Uh, but I really didn't get into basketball cards until probably the early 90s. Uh, at that point, their value, they were so over-flooded, they didn't have quite as good value. But we got some uh, early uh, 
early 80s, late 70s football cards. And baseball cards dating back as far as 1969. Obviously, I didn't buy those right. uh, live at that point. But uh, I, I like to say that I've got a lot of complete sets from baseball for all the majors, Tops, Donruss, and Fleer, uh, probably from like 1981 until about 1988, 1989. That's when I kind of uh, got the, that's when I got to high school, so I kind of stopped paying yeah. as much attention to the cards and started paying more attention to the actually playing the sports on the field. Oh, I thought you were going to say you started paying more attention to girls, but that's okay. Well, that, that actually started like two years before that. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so my baseball card-wise, rookie card-wise, my oldest rookie card is probably a Ken Griffey senior, which okay. is not worth that much, but it's kind of cool that it's, you know, Junior's dad's rookie, rookie card. I've got a Cal Ripken rookie card, Lance Parrish and Alan Trammell rookie cards. Um, and I've got a second year, unfortunately, my, my rookie card with um, Ricky Henderson, my brother decided to use a magic marker on. So I don't really have that card anymore because of that. <laughs> anyway. yeah, it, it, was, it was all about quality back uh, uh, nowadays for what their value is, obviously. I think a lot of children of the 70s and 80s, and even the previous years, uh, they they weren't thinking about the perceived long-term value of their cards. They'd stick them in their bikes books, or they'd just throw them into a box someplace and not really pay attention to them. Yep. Uh, but uh, again, uh, as people start to become more and more aware of the value of stuff, and they actually start putting it into plastic sheathing, and uh, again, getting cards graded, Stuff, stuff that we didn't do a whole lot of, but I'm kind of glad that I did to some degree early on, of course. I'm not going to make a mint off of my Brian Taylor rookie card collection, as I kind of hoped in the early 90s, at least. Yeah, I kind of could say the same thing about Jose Canseco, but yeah, you know what? When we were kids... <laughs> that 87, the 87 uh, Don Cops Musk. Canseco and the Fleer Update Canseco from 86 are both pretty good still, though. Are they really? Mm-hmm. I probably have a handful of each of them somewhere in my stash, <laughs> anyway, well, I, never, I never thought that the show would turn into a uh, fantasy baseball card uh, discussion. <laughs> well, it's the first week of the playoffs, and that kind of tells you how I made out this year. Um, so we'll be selling our baseball card collections to pay our league fees. <laughs> yes. Yes, actually. Yes. Next week, tune in for an auction that we'll be ha- handling. Um, we will accept PayPal and Venmo and Apple Pay. Anyway, um, that's not true. The best thing I could do right now is just, you know what, let's cut this off. Let's throw it over to Harley for this week's Blitzed Podcast News. Thank you, Steve. Philip Lindsay has joined Salvan Ahmed and Miles Gaskin on the COVID list leading up to this weekend's games against the Jets. I mean, if Miami wants to offer me an NFL minimum contract to suit up next Sunday... I'm pretty sure I could score at least two times against the Jets' run defense. My only question is, do they still make a running back number jersey in left tackle sizes? I mean, I don't know. I've seen one since maybe Brandon Jacobs or Christian Okoye. <laughs> On a week where all of us fantasy analysts debated Jermar Jefferson or Godwin Igwebuike, it was Craig Reynolds who was the primary beneficiary of multiple absences in the Detroit backfield. Take this as a courtesy reminder to just flat out ignore the Detroit backfield if DeAndre Swift isn't playing. (laughs) Despite having another MIR. Take that again. 
Despite having another MRI scheduled for this week on his injured neck, Daniel Jones has not yet been ruled out for the remainder of the season. As it stands, expect Mike Glennon to start the final games for the Giants this season. Now, does anyone else find it ironic that Glennon is starting because someone else has a neck injury? <laughs> Matt Rule has declared that Cam Newton and P.J. Walker will split reps over the next couple of weeks. He also stated that Sam Darnold may return as soon as week 16. What's that the kids like to say? If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback? Well, what if you have three quarterbacks? <laughs> and finally, Terry McLaurin failed to catch even one of his three targets before leaving last week's game with a concussion. Terry now joins all of his fantasy owners in the league's concussion protocol. This has been your BPN News Update. Yeah, that's a season that I didn't see coming, honestly. I thought that no matter what we'd see, McLaurin put up decent numbers, but it has been rough, and hopefully he's okay with his concussion. Yeah, that, that was just a really painful one. It was a good matchup for him, obviously. We've talked all season about how Dallas has a good pass defense, but they're prone to giving up big numbers to opponents' number one wide receivers. Well, McLaurin, of course, three targets, no catches, no yards, nothing, nothing, nothing. So you got the big skunko if you put him in your lineup. I liked the, I actually had him in a few lineups last week. Didn't help me one wide bit. Not to mention Curtis Samuel, who did absolutely nothing for me. I mean, I really thought he was going to have a good week as well. He was stepping in. Uh, if they could have used him like they used, well, Curtis Samuel when he was with the Panthers. He could have caught balls out of the backfield. He could have ran. He could have taken some of the... Uh, snaps that you would have expected to go to J.D. McKissick, who missed the game, but he did nothing. He did not a single god darn thing. Jesus. Yeah, I, I expected actually a decent week from him also, but it did not materialize. In any event, um, it was an interesting week. That's the best I can say. <laughs> and you had it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. It really was, um, in a sense, because if you really think about it, you had Cleveland that jumped out to an early lead. Big lead, right? And then, yeah. then make things get tight there at the end. Um, Dallas jumped out to a huge lead, and as inept as Washington was on offense, with less than five minutes to go, it was a one-score game. Um, oh, and don't even get me started on how the Vikings did on Thursday. <laughs> yeah, we can actually, and you can wrap that one in there also. And then I was going to say that the Buffalo-Tampa Bay game, that actually got the overtime. Yeah, I, that game was a little bit of a surprise for me, too. I really thought that Buffalo would be able to hold Tampa Tom in check. And, and until really until the fourth quarter, they kind of did in terms of yardage. He did pile up a few additional yards at the, uh, the fourth quarter in overtime. But the numbers were, were a little bit pedestrian for him. But in the end, people are going to look at it and say, well, he ended up with 360 passing yards and two passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. So you guys were wrong about saying not to play him last week. Well, I'm like, well, yeah. you know what? A lot of those stats were bad. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, let's not forget the Cincinnati-San Francisco game. That's a game that really pretty much looked like it was well in hand for most of the game. So, yeah, it was an yeah, awful, I, awful... I was shocked week. that, that, got, that that got to overtime. So, as we said, this is the first weeks of the playoffs, the first week of the playoffs for most leagues that, you know, reorged with the extra week. Um, you got there. Hopefully we helped you. But we're not going to help you Prepare for this week. You're going to do that on your own because we are going to talk about our top, our far too early top 12 
at the wide receiver and tight end spot. And then we're going to get into our normal DFS segment. So we'll help you there. But, yes, I'm a little jaded. Didn't make the playoffs in any of my leagues this year. It might be one of, one of the few times that's ever happened, quite honestly. So, no, not giving you any help now. Do you want help? Reach out on Twitter. Well, again, before we break into this exercise of the top 12 wide receivers and tight ends, uh, key to remind our listeners that this is for the purposes of redraft next season. Uh, it's not meant to be dynasty rankings for these players. These are players that you would take next year with the assumption on how they would perform next year. Yep. Now, some of these players may also have decent value from a dynasty standpoint, but that's not the uh, element that's going into our rankings per se. Correct. So do you want to start off with tight ends or wide receivers? Let's start with wide receivers. This was a little bit tough for me. I actually ended up, I ended up listing 24 wide receivers. I've got my top 12. I have 12 that didn't make the top 12, many of whom might surprise our listeners. Yes. Um, I did not do the same exercise by doing 24, but I definitely think that there's a name or two that may be missing that I think will surprise our listeners. And at the end of it, I think that the key is going to be wide receivers deep. Very deep. All right. Perhaps even deeper than previous seasons. Possibly, yes. So set the over-under. What are we going to match total in the top 12? We are going to match on 10 of the top 12. And we are going to have three in the same spot. Under on both. Okay. So go ahead and lead us off. Who is your number one wide receiver? My number one at wide receiver for next season is going to be Stephon Diggs. Got a great young quarterback who likes to air the ball out. And he is going to be ranked slightly ahead of my number two because I think he is a little bit more reliable than my number two, who is Tyree Kill. So we don't match at number one. My top pick at wide receiver, and you'll, you'll sense a trend as we do this, has what I believe will be a solid running mate at tight end. We know what they have at running back, which is plus. And we have a serviceable to above average quarterback. And their rapport is only going to get better. Um, it's Justin Jefferson. My Justin note- Jefferson is, is a good player. Uh, my notes on Justin Jefferson is he's a great young wide receiver. He's got a great complementary wide receiver option to keep defenses Honest. Honest. He's got a solid quarterback. I believe we ranked. I ranked him at number 12 last week uh, for the draft of quarterbacks. They play in an indoor stadium, yep. and they're face, they face off against three relatively bad defenses in their division. So that's six games where Jefferson should have a plus game script just in and of itself. Now, I've got him ranked number three behind Stefan and Tyreek. Well, we match at number two. I have Tyreek at number two. Initially, I had him at three. Before we logged on, I actually did a flip-flop with my number two and number three. So since you have Diggs at one, Tyreek at two, and JJ at three, I will tell you that I have Cooper Cup as my number three wide receiver. I have no problem with that because we just missed matching there by one. I've got Cooper Cup at number four. Got young, uh, the, here's, the, here's the knocks I had in Cooper Cup. Uh, the age of his quarterback, Matthew Stafford, who's also seen some late-season struggles this season. Those are slightly concerning me on Cup. But nevertheless, Cup is a PPR beast. He plays in a dome stadium. 
And his divisional opponents are all fairly fair weather uh, environments as well, the exception being Seattle, possibly some rainstorms and whatnot. But none of those other teams in that division are known for having like bad snowstorms to play in. And again, uh, he's developed into an absolute beast this year. Again, you're going to expect a slight drop-off next season, I think, in terms of the number of uh, overall stats. But I, I still got him number four. I, I think he could easily make the top three, though, too. Yeah, I mean, you can't even rule him out for being number one. So, Justin Jefferson, I love the situation. He's got a solid, basic quarterback. Tyreek Hill, love the situation. Solid, basic quarterback. I think they add somebody at wide receiver next year, so that could ding him a little bit. That's why he's number two, not number one. Cooper Cup, number three. I think, again, solid base at quarterback i know stafford's getting a little older but they didn't sign him to keep him there for one year and the coach isn't changing nothing's changing there other than you may have cam Akers back which could siphon some value and who knows how obj will be if he sign if he's back there next year robert woods what what does that all do to possibly siphoning some value from so that's why he's at number three instead of one or two for me um at number four i have Another young receiver who has had some really high highs this year, and he's had a few lows, but more highs than lows. Um, and it's Jamar Chase. No problem with Jamar Chase. I've got Chase at number six overall. Uh, young, talented quarterback there. He's got two other complementary options, yep. which may be the only slight knock on him. Now, it's nice to have one complementary option to keep defenses honest. If you have two, though, all of a sudden you're trying to appease three options in the wide receiver passing game. So that might be a slight ding on him. Uh, divisional weather conditions could also be a potential issue with Chase uh, playing games in Pittsburgh, in Cleveland, and in Baltimore. Uh, you've got some decent defenses there as well. Good cornerback talent. Obviously, Marlon Humphrey got completely toasted by him this year. But, again, when you look at those three defenses, you, you, look, you, you think of some pretty decent cornerbacks. So I've got him at six mainly because of uh, the opponents and potential late season weather there. I mean, and we're mincing things when he's four to six, right? For me, I agree with all those things. What helps to offset that a little bit is one, again, the quarterback, the running back solid has complimentary pieces in, in the passing game to help take some pressure off. But he also is a guy that gets targeted and has big plays um, from the red zone type thing and just big plays touchdown wise. Now that could easily regress uh, but I look, if you take him in the 4-6 range, I don't think he's fallen outside the top 10. So he's going to be a relatively safe pick. Okay, well, we've skipped over my number five. Let's get to uh, My number five this week is a young, quarter, a young quarterback, young wide receiver combination. Uh, they play in an indoor stadium. All of their divisional defenses that they oppose are rotten. Oh, yeah, and the number three wide receiver in this particular offense is likely gone. That being C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb is my number five wide receiver for 2022. Okay, so I'll give you my number five, and then you run down your five, because I think we already have your six, right? We have my six, yes. Okay. I'll actually run down my five. I'll add six, and then you can do your top six, and I'll do my top six. How's that? That's 50-50. Sounds good. Yep. So my number five is a guy that's playing tonight. We record on Monday night. He's with the Arizona Cardinals. He has not turned 30 yet. He's had a little bit of an injury-plagued season, but DeAndre Hopkins, if you get him outside of the top five, he easily has top three-type value. He has some complimentary players in the passing game for him. 
running back, maybe not as much as some of these other guys do, but Kyler Murray's not going anywhere. Well, this is going to be our first uh, tough break for me because I actually have DeAndre falling out of my top 12. Okay. Uh, mainly, uh, my issue with DeAndre uh, isn't even so much the fact that he's suffered some injuries this year and that he's getting a little bit older, but there's too many weapons in Arizona and too much to go around, including Kyler Murray carrying the ball himself and taking touchdowns that way. Now, is DeAndre capable of putting uh, together another 1,000-yard and 10-touchdown season next year? Certainly. But I just see so many other wide receivers that have a much higher likelihood of doing that because they only have one other person to compete with in the offense. That's fair enough. Um, they just showed a, an image, a couple images on, on the screen, believe it or not. And since entering the NFL in 2013, he's number one in targets with over 1,200 and number two in receiving yards with over 10,000. Again, quality receiver, quality offense, heavy throwing offense, which certainly helps him as well. Yep. Okay, so at number six, I have your number one wide receiver. I have Stefan Diggs as my number six wide receiver. I thought about moving him as high as three. I couldn't push him any lower than six. Weather factored in. Um, we really don't. He really could use another complimentary piece in the passing game. Dawson Knox has evolved nicely, but another complimentary piece out wide. I don't know what's going to happen with um, the slot guy up there. Can't remember his name. Cole Beasley. Emmanuel mm-hmm. Sanders is hurt right now. Is he somebody that comes back? Is Gabriel Davis going to develop? But I, I love Diggs. So getting him at six is going to feel like a steal if that happens. Okay, so a quick rundown on my top six. I've got Stefan at one, Tyreek at two. Uh, JJ at three, Cooper Cup at four, CD Lamb at five, and Chase at six. Okay, and my top six is JJ, followed by Tyreek Hill. Then I have Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, DeAndre Hopkins, and Stefan Diggs. So the only two differences really are CD versus DeAndre. That is correct. At number seven, I'm going to take a veteran wide receiver. He's a talented point-per-reception stud who will likely lose his only other significant primary complementary receiver to free agency. But he has a young quarterback. He plays in an indoor stadium. And there's a couple of mediocre defenses in this particular division. I'm going with the veteran Keenan Allen at number seven. Whoever would have thought that we would match at number seven? (laughs) I have Keenan Allen at number seven. For the exact same reasons that you do, you can add in the Austin Eckler effect. I don't think he's going anywhere. It's like a good running game. Um, The quarterback situation is solid. Okay? I'm going to give you my number eight real quick, and then I'm going to go back and run something down. My number eight was a guy you had ranked earlier, CeeDee Lamb. And he was somebody that I did look at trying to push up. I thought about maybe there's a swap with him and Jamar Chase. Um, At the end of the day, man, the top eight are pretty solid, right? So you've got at least for me, Justin Jefferson, solid quarterbacking. Cooper Cup, I'm sorry, Tariq Hill, solid quarterbacking. Cooper Cup, solid quarterbacking. Jamar Chase, solid quarterback. DeAndre Hopkins, solid quarterback. Stephon Diggs, solid quarterback. Keenan Allen, solid quarterback. CeeDee Lamb, solid quarterback. That's, a, that's like a trend right there, right? Well, I'm going to ruin that trend for you with my number eight. My number eight has a huge question mark surrounding his quarterback situation for next year. And that's Devontae Adams. We don't know who his quarterback will be next year. 
Hell, we don't know if he's going to be playing in Green Bay this coming year. We do know is that Devontae Adams has a ton of talent and that he's going to play well wherever he lands and whoever is throwing the ball to him. So Devontae Adams is still in my top 10. I've got him at number eight. I mean, okay, let's just play. Let me play devil's advocate here. He stays in Green Bay and Jordan loves his quarterback. Do you really feel confident he's a top 12 quarterback? I mean, wide receiver? He has got that much talent, yes. I'd like Heck, to think- he's he's going to score four touchdowns against the Vikings no matter who's throwing him the ball. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but, man, I just the risk when you can see some of these other guys in that range – when you don't know his quarterback, for me, that's what makes him very hard to rank. Um, at number nine, I actually have a guy now who does have quarterback questions. And it w- in, a, in a month or so, I guess a month and a half, we'll know if this ranking is, is stupid or not. But it's Chris Godwin. And I say that because if the Bucks did win another Super Bowl, is Tom Brady coming back? Well, we have another match. At number nine, I've also got Chris Godwin. And realistically, I believe Tom Brady is playing coming back. He's already said that he wants to play till he's 50. He said. Now, whether or not that's realistic or not, we don't know. But, I mean, he's Tom Brady's top wide receiver, uh, which is always going to make him a top 12 wide receiver. Uh, he plays in a warm-weather stadium against divisional opponents who also all play in warm-weather stadiums. Now, two of those divisional opponents have – legitimate shutdown cornerbacks uh, at cornerback one position. But, again, he doesn't have to deal with weather at all down there other than maybe the occasional hurricane, which hopefully they'd never actually have to play a game in a hurricane. That would be kind of crazy. But <laughs> Yeah, right. We've got, we've got our third match then. Yeah, at, we've got our push. That's interesting. Okay, so let's see. So we're both through nine. Who do you have at number ten? At 10, I'm going with the guy who does have a question about his quarterback. He's also got a question about, well, what position and what role he's going to have in the offense next year. Uh, Assuming that the team can find a legitimate, reliable running back, he will move himself back to the wide receiver position where he's much, much, much more valuable from a fantasy standpoint. That is the elite athlete known as Debo Samuel. So Debo's one of those guys. He was close, but because of the question marks, could not make it for me in the top 12. Um, I get it. I really do. I do get it. But not knowing if it's going to be Trey Lance, not knowing how that transition is going to be, not knowing if he does have to go back, if he gets to go back to being a wide receiver full-time, how does AU continue to develop, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Just too many question marks for me to feel comfortable saying he's top 12. At number 10 for me, I went with a guy that, and I probably shouldn't have, but it's because I had such a hard time figuring out where to put his running mate that I had to put them back-to-back. Mike Evans comes in at number 10 for me. Okay. This will be our second player that didn't make my top 12. I have have Evans right around number 16, actually, overall. Fair enough. Um, And Antonio Brown almost made me not include Mike Evans. That is my biggest knock on Mike Evans. I think that Evans has proven this year, I mean, every, every single year since he's been in the league, he's got 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns, it feels like. So yes, it, it, that's fairly reliable. you you got to count on that and trust that. But at the same time, you have to wonder what his production would have been this year if Brown had played the full season. And that, that concerns me a little bit. Now, I, I certainly don't dislike Evans. I actually had him as a top-12 wide receiver coming into this season. 
again, I've got them just outside there right now. And the main reason I have them outside of there is because my number 11 wide receiver is a rookie that's moved his way into the top 12 wide receivers this year. And that is the point per reception stud who is going to have one more year experience with a young, talented quarterback of his own that plays in a warm weather stadium and that has at least one solid complementary wide receiver and a quality tight end in their offense as well. And that's Jalen Waddell. We have another match, believe it or not. That is crazy. <laughs> Most of these matches you would have expected to have been at the top of the list, not down at 7 and 11. Mm-hmm. And, and here I thought it was a stretch getting Waddle at 11, honestly. I, I just I kept looking at the names of the guys that I skipped over, including guys like Hopkins and Evans, and it's like, you know what? I just really, really like Waddle's potential for next year. Yep. Uh, he's going to be in the 100-catch category next season. He's going to approach 100 catches this season. He is. So, okay, I'm going to run down my top 11 so I can give you my final one, okay? Yes. I've got Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, followed by Keenan Allen, CeeDee Lamb, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Waddle, and at number 12, you notice, notice that there was an omission. I have not mentioned Devontae Adams' name yet. I'm still not going to mention Devontae Adams' name. <laughs> it's probably a mistake, but I'm actually going to enter another rookie at the 12 spot for me because his quarterback play could not be worse than what he's experienced <laughs> this year. So I see that as a plus, actually, okay? And yes, I know it's a risky play, and you'll probably be able to get him closer to 16 to 20 in a real draft. But Elijah Moore is my number 12 wide receiver. Uh, it's comical. I had Elijah Moore listed 14th right now. <laughs> I really I thought about pushing him up there, too. Uh, so my, my top 12 is Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, C.D. Lamb, Jamar Chase, Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin, Debo, Jalen Waddell, and another wide receiver who we have no clue who his quarterback will be next season. We do know that it won't be his current quarterback. We also know that he has a solid complementary wide receiver and a solid tight end around him. And he has produced strong numbers with a clearly diminished quarterback this season. Now, this particular wide receiver, there's been a lot of rumors that Aaron Rodgers will be his quarterback next year. And that's Deontay Johnson. Yeah. Oh, I got to be honest with you. So I'm doing this exercise. The top six were pretty easy to do, right? You yep. get, get to seven, I'm like, it really has to be Keenan Allen. But can it be Keenan Allen? No, it's got to be Keenan Allen. He's safe. He's got to, he checks all the boxes, right? There's not, none of that yep. extra risk. And then I was like, okay, well, CD easily. Like that's another no-brainer because you got Dak there and it's a strong offense. Now's where you get to the question mark in that 9 through 12 range. And I had Deontay Johnson initially at 10. And I crossed him out because, one, I, I just don't know. And I can't say that it's going to be better because I just don't know. You know what I mean? Um, but clearly, if he gets we do, We do know that he's played nearly a full season and a half with nothing quarterback play from guys like Mason Rudolph yes. and uh, Duck Hodges. And he's actually done decent with those guys in the past. Now, obviously, this year he's got a couple games with Rudolph at the helm, too. But, uh, again, it won't be Big Ben there. He's already made it pretty clear that he's planning on retiring. We'll wait and see if that actually does happen. Yeah. But all, 
I, I have to assume that this is his last year. If Deontay, okay, let's just say this. Ben retires, A-Rod goes there. I probably move Deontay up into my top 10. I might move him into my top five. It's very possible. Absolutely. You could see him put up um, Devontae Adams-type numbers with how Rodgers likes to lock in on, on his top guy. But yeah, so here are a few of the names that I did not include in my top 12, which may absolutely shock people. A.J. Brown. Yep. Terry McLaurin. DJ, Met, uh, DJ Moore. DK Metcalf. Uh, Hopkins, who just missed my list. Elijah Moore, who just missed my list. Michael Pittman, who we both have been uh, extolling yep. throughout the season. Uh, Mike Evans, who you put on your list, I did not put on my list. Uh, Brandon Cooks, who has succeeded uh, despite whoever he's had at quarterback for the last seven years. And uh, the, then there's a guy like Hunter Renfro, who's got some quarterback questions of his own. We don't know uh, how committed they are to Derek Carr there. But we do know is that Hunter Renfro is becoming a PPR beast. Yeah, and then you also left off Calvin Ridley because we don't know where he is from a mental state and if he's going to come back or not. Exactly. So, all in all, good exercise. I think the key is to look at it and say, the wide receiver, you really can't neglect looking at what they have at quarterback when it comes to using that as like a quote-unquote tiebreaker to help you make those decisions. And more importantly, wide receiver is super deep next year. Yes, extremely. All right, let's go talk about tight ends where the top few kind of play like wide receivers, and then the rest are mush. <laughs> exactly. This, this was a hard, hard exercise for me even. And, you know, I love my tight ends. Yes. So let, let's just get a uh, – oh, we're going to do our over and under, I'm guessing, right? Yes, you do the over and under. I'm going to put us at – we're going to have 10 together that, are gonna, that we're going to have and – uh, two in the same spot. I'm going to take the over and the under. How's that? And by the way, we okay. we hit the over, I think, on, or did we push? We pushed on wide receiver for 10, right? Uh, we had four that matched, I think, and then we had, uh, we had two that weren't on each other's list. Right, so that's 10. So that pushed, and then the over hit, so I was wrong on that. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to start us off at the number one spot. You can make an argument for somebody else, but until you beat the man, you don't get to be the man. So I'm going to go with Travis Kelsey for one more year as, as tight end Supremo number one. We have a match right off the bat. He is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Okay. Number two, if he stays healthy, this guy easily – could unseat Travis Kelsey. Besides the health risk, which of course all players deal with, I'm not sure how a quarterback change is going to impact him. So that's why it was easy for me to seat him below Kelsey to the point where I actually thought, should I be seating him a little lower? But I'm going George Kittle at number two. Well, for all of the reasons you just said, George Kittle is on my list and I moved him down one spot to number three. But for exactly the reasons you just gave. <laughs> okay. So who is number two for you? Number two is a guy who was slowly sliding down the tight end ranks this past offseason. I bumped him all the way up to number two for next season, and that's Mark Andrews. 
He moves back up into the elite tier since Lamar Jackson just likes throwing the goddamn ball to him. Yeah. I mean, yes, Rashad Bateman and J.K. Dobbins will probably eat into some of those targets next year. But you just can't get around the fact that Lamar Jackson, as long as he's the quarterback, he's going to target Mark Andrews. Uh, unless something happens to him with an injury, I just don't see that changing. So when I first started this, the first person I wrote down at number three was Mark Andrews. But I crossed him out when I started to think about it. And I put somebody else in, nope, I want to slide him down, slide this guy up. I've got somebody locked into this spot. I probably should move him up, but no. So Andrews actually round up at six for me. Um, but that's how close it is from, you know, three to six, quite honestly. Or two to six, I should say. Um, so you have Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, right? Yes, that's correct. I have Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, even though I'm, st- I'm slightly concerned about the quarterback situation. But I have Waller at number three. Well, and it's interesting that you say from two to six is kind of mix and match because I have Waller sliding all the way to my number six. Okay. Uh, obviously he's a super talented weapon, but he, he hasn't been getting the target share this year that he's gotten over the last year and a half. Now, again, quarterback concerns, coaching concerns, offensive strategy concerns. Will they sign another wide receiver opposite Hunter Renfro? That that whole team has just kind of got me confused right now. They obviously could use Waller, and they haven't used him this year like they should have. I think that's a big reason why they've fallen on hard times. So I've got him at six in kind of a prove-it spot. So, you know, that's kind of where I was at Andrews, right? I'm like, I looked at everybody, I'm like, he's got the quarterback, and we know he's in an offense, but I just, I'm really expecting the evolution of Bateman and you got Marquise Brown, and yes, you should get Dobbins back, that I just feel like that's got to dial him back just a little bit. Um, And maybe that's not fair, Uh, but that's why he's six, and I have Waller at three. At four is a guy I almost put at three, considered it two, but just not sure what they're going to do with the quarterback position, not sure what's going to happen at the coaching position, the offensive philosophy, this, that, and the other, but just straight up on talent alone, I have Kyle Pitts at four. Well, I have a strange feeling we're going to have four and five uh, flip-flop between the two of us. I've actually got Pitts at five, but your description of the player that I have at four could be the same person. Uh, We've got a guy who uh, uh, has quarterback questions, there's coaching questions. Uh, In his case, he's actually done very well with mediocre to average quarterbacks throughout his short career. And that's Dallas Goddard. He's going to have a full season now this coming year without Zach Ertz. So I've moved him up slightly because I I feel like we already have more of a book on what to expect from Goddard, a little bit more than Pitts. But I've got those two pretty much interchangeable at four or five. I've got Pitts at five. Uh, Everyone's saying this is a failed rookie campaign. He still ranks sixth in receptions and third in receiving yards, despite having no other support in that passing game. Yeah. You know what? Quarterback concerns, obviously, we don't know if it's going to be Matt Ryan or if it's going to be someone else, but there's really nowhere for him to go but up. Correct. Absolutely. And he's going to be a focus point, right? Yes. He's Tony Gonzalez with the Chiefs back when he was first getting started. He is the offense. Um, And I'm sliding Priest Holmes when I say that, I guess, and Larry Johnson. (laughs) Um, So, no, it's not Goddard. I actually thought you were going to mention who I have at five, but you didn't. You probably have him at seven or something like that. I don't know. Um, I have Goddard at seven, for what it's worth. And it's because 
I yeah, he's had some quarterback issues. I still think there may be quarterback questions with what happens going forward. There should be some upside because I think they still stay with Hurts for one more year, and it can only help Goddard. But I have T.J. Hawkinson at five. Well, I've got Hawkinson at number seven for me. Uh, Hawk has done remarkably bad, also and remarkably good, I should say, with a bad quarterback. Yep. No offensive help whatsoever, no and he's battled through a whole ton of injuries this year. Yes. Now he's going to continue to grow. He plays in a dome stadium. The divisional defenses that he's going to be facing are very bad. So, yeah, he's definitely got some pluses to him. Uh, it, you know, I actually I don't mind them holding on. I assume they're going to draft high enough that they could take a quarterback next year. But I still see Jared Goff as the quarterback there next year, uh, basically until they develop whoever they pick. I agree. So I, I think that Hawkinson's value is a little bit capped by that. That's why I've got him at number seven instead of five. So I'm not sure, but real quick recap. I think that we have the top seven 100%. Yes, we do. They just are in different places. Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, Pitts, Hawkinson, Andrews, Goddard for me. And Kelsey, Andrews, Kittle, Goddard, Pitts, Waller, Hawkinson for me. Yep, pretty close. This is where it gets a little tricky, I think, um, is in the second half of this part. So go ahead and start us off. Who do you have at number eight? Well, number eight, again, I'm going on the belief that Tom Brady will be back next season. Uh, so that ultimately comes down to whether or not Rob Gronkowski is back next season. And I think that really depends both on if his body lets him and if his mom can find his football pants in time again for next summer. <laughs> because let's face it, as long as Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady are both on the field, touchdowns, will accumulate like points on the ticker at the local arcade. So Gronk's not my number eight. He is in my top 12. I have him at 11 for the same exact reasons. Curious if Tom's coming back. Even if Tom comes back, can Gronk come back? He does look at times like a shadow of himself from a health and speed standpoint. Um, but if he does come back, he's easily a top 12 tight end when he plays. Availability is key, though. Um, my number eight is a guy that really has blossomed this year, and that's Dawson Knox. Uh, Dawson Knox did make my top 12. Uh, he is actually at number 12 for me. Uh, personally, I have a feeling that his touchdown will drop off next season uh, because they'll actually involve Stephon Diggs from point one rather than waiting till week four to get him the ball. <laughs> Obviously, young stud quarterback. Uh, and again, I like Dawson Knox. Don't get me wrong. I just, I cannot expect him to have quite as many touchdowns as he did this year. That's fair enough. Trust me. There is some regression to be had there, but I think that he's developing overall. And I think we see him increase his catches and yards too. So that'll help to offset the loss of some touchdowns. Well, I assume that if Emmanuel Sanders leaves that team, that will certainly help him. But again, I'm, I'm expecting Beasley to be back. I expect Diggs to be back on top, obviously, have him number one at wide receiver. I think Gabriel Davis, you, you mentioned him briefly. Yep. I really like Gabriel Davis. We've I love what we've seen of him in the last couple of weeks in particular, uh, and I think he's going to take a huge step forward next year. Tell you what, he earned a hell of a lot of respect just in over. Was it an overtime or in the fourth quarter? That third down, I think it was, or was it fourth oh, down? Oh, yeah. The catch that he needed an extra yard and a half, the way he fought for it. Mm -hmm. um, so, But here's the thing. Eight through 12, they have warts. Yes, they do. 
And that's what it comes down to. So, um, so at eight, I have Knox. You had Gronk. At nine, I have Noah Font. Well, that's our first player that's not going to be on each other's list. Okay. I like Noah Font, but uh, I just I have to look at the factor that we don't know who the quarterback is going to be there. Yep. Uh, they have bad weather situations there sometimes in Denver. Uh, they're playing in an outdoor stadium. Uh, we don't know what effect Albert Aquabunam is going to have on that offense. Continuing going forward, he looks to be pretty decent as well. I do like Font. Don't get me wrong. I, I actually had him in the top 10 coming into this season, but I've got him ranked at 13 right now for next season just because we really don't know what's going to happen with that quarterback situation. So the way I look at it, I don't. this is one of those situations where I don't see – it's kind of like Elijah Moore. There's no way he gets worse quarterback play next year. That is quite probable. So that's why – and maybe eight – I'm sorry, maybe nine was a little high. Um, but I, just, I see more upside knowing that I can't see his quarterback position getting worse. Well, again, I, I, I mentioned Albert Okobunum, but we also have the fact that they've got two solid running backs right now. Uh, odds are Melvin Gordon's going to move on someplace else. Bye-bye. But they also got, they've got Cortland Sutton. They've got K.J. Yeah. Hamler coming back. They've got Jerry Judy. That's a lot of mouths to feed there. It is. He probably will be touchdown dependent to, to land in the top 12. Uh, my number nine is a veteran. We talked a little bit about him earlier in the fact that he is no longer with Philadelphia, and that's Zach Ertz. Uh, he has immense potential if he gets to play a full season with Kyler Murray in warm weather environments, and most importantly, without Dallas Goddard. So, I hate to say it, but Ertz did not make my top 12. He's right there. I could have put him as high as 9, as low as 15, maybe tw- maybe 13. Um, like you talked about with, with DeAndre Hopkins, too many mouths to feed. Possibly, yes. That's my biggest concern. And he's at that age where when they fall off the cliff, they fall off the cliff. I, I absolutely totally agree with you on that, but that was my main thing. I think the one thing I was kind of looking at is how much Arizona devoted the first three weeks of the season yeah. to getting Max Williams involved in the offense. Now... I, I don't know Max Williams' situation for next season, if they just signed him for one year or not. So, obviously, if Williams comes back from his injury and, and Ertz moves on, then Williams could certainly be considered possible right around pick 12 as well. But, again, I'm, I'm basing this on Ertz re-signing with, with Arizona and Williams not being a part of that offense. And, honestly, because I like to draft my tight ends later, I'll probably have a ton of Zach Ertz next year. Um, I think we might match at 10 based on everyone that we've picked around each other so far. Okay, let's see. Who do you have at 10? I've got Mike Gesicki. Uh, there's a slight concern for me of target share with the potential return of Will Fuller V and another season of Jalen Waddell. Again, we've got a warm weather situation. We've got a young quarterback. And Gesicki is a big-bodied red zone threat that realistically neither Fuller nor Waddell brings to the table. So we don't have a match, believe it or not. Gesicki did not make my top 12. I probably would have slated him at 12 had I included him. And I probably should have. When we get to 12, you'll understand why. No, at 10, I have Logan Thomas. I, I like that. And you know, you know I love Logan Thomas a lot. Yep. Uh, he, just, he actually slid the 14 on my list uh, only because of his age. He, he is a very old uh, for a tight end who's just entering his prime right now. <laughs> 
mainly because he started his career as a quarterback. <laughs> right, but he doesn't have a lot of miles. He does have a lot of miles on his body. Uh, had, didn't play a whole lot, but he's, he still has some miles on his body. We don't know the quarterback there. Uh, in fact, we don't really know much about that offense in general there. But, uh, again, I like Logan Thomas going into the season. Great schedule. Great division facing off against three soft defenses. Uh, if he comes back fully healthy, yeah, he definitely deserves uh, to be right up there in the top 12 to 13 range. And, and I said not a lot of miles. I meant as a tight end getting hit the way you do. As a quarterback, he didn't put any miles on that body. So anyway, yeah, look, I struggled with it. Trust me. Like I said, Gasicki was right there I, in that conversation. I, I, I do love Logan Thomas, though. So, yeah, the, uh, don't, don't deny yourself going out to get Logan Thomas next year just because I said he's at my number 14, uh, my number 10. Yep. So I do like Logan Thomas a lot. And I won't be shocked if Heineke's back next year, honestly, and I don't think that'll be a negative for the offense, honestly. So, who, okay, I, at 11, I have Gronk. Who do you have at 11? I'm going to go with Dalton Schultz. Again, the departure of Michael Gallup, I think is going to open up more targets for both CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz, who both tend to operate out of the inside part of the field. Uh, young quarterback, indoor stadium, miserable divisional defenses, once again, all a boost for Schultz. Again, he played his best ball this year when Gallup was gone, when Gallup was out. So I think no Gallup next year, Dalton Schultz is going to take over as the full-time number three option in that passing game. Okay, so through 11 picks, I have Font, Thomas, and Gronk. I'm sorry, Font and Thomas that you don't have, and then you have Schultz, who I don't have. So I believe that makes the under hit, right? Yeah, Schultz and Gasicki, I think, were not in your list, right? Or was Ertz in your list? I don't have Ertz. So Ertz, Gasicki, and... Schultz, I don't have. So that's where we, we've fallen off. So we hit the under. Um, I think I took the over, though. How about that? I did. Um, anyway, at 12, who do you have at 12? 12, I've got Knox. Okay, you have Knox at 12. So here's where I considered putting Ertz, where I considered putting Thomas and bumping Gasecki up or putting Gasecki at 12. Instead, I went with a rookie who's had a pretty good season. Pro- definitely, I mean, look – I gave a wide receiver a knock because we don't know what is going to happen. But at tight end, it doesn't take that much more to actually become a top 12 wide, top twelve tight end, right? Um, I got yep. Pat Freermuth based on upside. But, of course, that's tied to who winds up there as the quarterback. Yeah, I have Freermuth actually at 15. Uh, I, I totally see him making the boost up into the top 12, particularly if a guy like Ertz isn't re-signed by Arizona. I think he could easily jump up into the top 12 then. Uh, whether or not it's uh, a rookie quarterback or Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins, you're, you're looking at a situation where you've got a rookie quarterback or you've got an underproven or unproven quarterback. They do tend to lean on their tight ends a little bit more. So That's possible. certainly the volume should be there for Fryermuth. And again, he's got other weapons to keep defenses honest. Obviously, a great running back who can catch the ball in the backfield, Najee Harris. And they've got, uh, again, the deep receivers in Claypool and also uh, Deontay Johnson. Uh, I think all likelihood Juju Smith-Schuster is gone. I also think that uh, uh, there's talk today even that James Washington is already planning to move on from Pittsburgh because uh, this is the last year of his rookie contract. So there's going to be some openings for targets there too. Yeah, and, and here's that's the thing. So, okay, Steve, well, you didn't include Deontay Johnson because you're worried about the quarterback, but you're including Pat because there's some question marks around the quarterback. Like you said, I think that, that the question marks at quarterback are going to impact that tight end spot less than the wide receiver spot. Again, because 60 catches, 600 yards, five touchdowns is great for a tight end almost, right? But not yes. so much for a wide receiver. 
But I got to say this though, he had to catch that ball on Thursday. You, oh. you deliver a pass that impressively, and again, it's coming from the arm of a beleaguered Big Ben Roethlisberger and a possibility to tie the game on an epic comeback against the Vikings. And Fryermuth dropped the ball right in his hands, delivered better than anyone outside of maybe Aaron Rodgers could have possibly thrown it to him, and he dropped it. <laughs> so he didn't drop it. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you there. He did not drop it. That was one heck of a play by Harrison Smith. It, it, was, a, it was a good defensive hit that knocked it free. I agree, yes, but it, it still. Was, the timing of it was perfect to the point where it was just, I mean, honestly, I don't know that there's a receiver that you can put in his spot, best hands in the league, that would possibly catch that five out of ten times with how perfect timed Harrison's hit was in the ball. That was still just a, a ridiculously beautiful pass. It was, but you know what? I also have said this in the past, too. Like Somebody like Jay Cutler back when he would throw a lot of interceptions, right? You'd have mm-hmm. receivers that drop balls a lot, and they're like, well, why? he should have caught it. He should have caught it. It was, it was in the middle of his numbers. A lot of times when you have an inconsistent quarterback, you don't know where to expect the ball, and that makes it harder to catch. So when he's running that route, he knows where the ball should be, but you are possibly not sure that's where it's going to wind up. So when it winds up there, it's kind of like a surprise. Well, if only every receiver could just catch the ball like Demarius Thomas. Yes, that's a good that's a good way. We'll honor Demarius with that statement right now. I think it's time to move on to some DFS. It is. It's been a long show, so we're going overtime. Like, I think, what, how many games did this week? Three? Uh, too many. Too many. There you go. All right. Set the over-under. Five. Under. Okay. <laughs> All right, start us off. Who are you paying up for a quarterback? Paying up for a guy we're watching right now, and that's Kyler Murray, 7,900 on DraftKings, 8,800 on FanDuel. He's at Detroit. He's a guy who likes to score on the ground as Detroit. Give me that all day and 10 times on Sunday. You know, I don't disagree with that. Um, it's it, it may be one where he sits out the third quarter after the in midway through the third quarter. For it might not matter. <laughs> it may not matter then. But I'm going to pay up for a guy who's much cheaper, though, believe it or not. Um, he's at home. He's had a week to get ready because of the bye. Um, and this team has given up tons of points in the passing game. Uh, I'm going to go with Jalen Hurts as my pay up. Risky. I, Risky play. I was going to say, I, I just can't trust Jalen Hurts. I, I, he hates me because, I, I, I mean – He's done so good this year. I just can't trust the guy. And do we even know for certain he's going to start? No, we don't. So that's where the address okay. comes in. I do believe that he will start, though. Um, if he doesn't, I, I think he, I think he will too. But <laughs> if he doesn't, then you can pivot to Kyler. Um, who are you staying away from? I think we have a match here. I'm going to stay away from the top price guy on the board, Josh Allen. Uh, it's 8100 on DraftKings, 8700 on FanDuel. Uh, I have to assume that Ellen's rushing numbers will be affected some by his turf toe injury that he sustained at some point last week. Carolina's tough against both the pass and the run, so I didn't love the match, even if Ellen was 100%. I mean, I don't see them benching Ellen for Trubisky this week, but if Ellen plays, I I don't see him hitting max value on either side. Well, we agree. That's the first match. I, I thought that was probably the easiest match on the slate for us this week, honestly. Again, I'm not going to claim an injury exemption to put, making that play there because, again, there there really he's, isn't a, much of a likelihood that he doesn't play. It's just, again, he's not going to be 100%. No, he's going to play, and it's not a good matchup, and his health doesn't help any. Well, we might match on the value play here. I'm going to go with the guy that we talked about uh, during the 
top wide receivers and top tight end segment, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, Big Ben has always been more successful at home than on the road. 122 career home games. He has 235 passing touchdowns compared to only 93 interceptions. On the road, he's actually played one more road game in his career, 123. He has 55 fewer touchdowns and 22 more interceptions. Now, after a poor start to the season, Ben has nine TDs over his last four games. So I see him easily throwing two TDs against Tennessee, maybe three. (laughs) So we definitely weren't going to match here because what I wrote down was just say no. (laughs) Just say no to all the cheap price quarterbacks this week. Just don't do it. Um, Ben is only a thousand less than the guy I was paying up for. So I didn't look at him as a value because of that. And if you go south of Ben, it's ugly. It really is. I mean, Tua is right about the same price range. I considered uh, Davis Mills at Jacksonville, but Jacksonville's like, like we talked about last week has actually been yep. decent against the pass. Um, Tyler Huntley maybe at home against Green Bay if he gets to start rather than Jackson, which it looks like might happen. But yeah, you're right. The uh, the bottom tier at quarterback this week is kind of yucky. Yes, it's. I mean, I didn't even write anybody down. I, I just said, just say no. <laughs> Cop out, punt, whatever you want to call it. I just did it. All right, who are you paying up for at running back? Uh, this one might uh, uh, be a problematic for some people. I'm going to pay up for the second highest priced player on DraftKings, and that's Ezekiel Elliott. We met. Uh, jealous at the Giants. You know, it, it remains to be seen if Tony Pollard returns this week. Yep. But if he doesn't, Zeke gets a really easy matchup at what has to be considered a fairly low price. Yes. And Zeke has scored at least once. In five of his last six games played against the Giants. Now, again, you have to be a little concerned about the usage Corey Clement got last week. And again, the price is still 7000 plus. But when you think about top-priced running backs, you're usually looking at guys in the high 8000s And there isn't one this week other than Najee on FanDuel. Look at his price <laughs> on FanDuel. 6700 I know. That is less than Sony Michelle. I mean, unless that's a typo, that is less than Sonny Michelle, less than Antonio Gibson, less than Daryl Henderson. Yep. Less than James Conner. Less than Elijah. Less than Melvin Gordon. Less than AJ Dillon. Less than DeAndre Swift. (laughs) And Swift might not even play. One hundred dollars more than Miles Gaskin. And he might not play. (laughs) Right. So yeah, we match there. Um, My stay away. I'm staying away from the top priced guy. Yeah, I know the team likes to try and get him the ball a lot, but I do not want Najee Harris against the Titans this week. Uh, you know, I thought about that. The FanDuel price is ridiculous, 8800 But then I saw the FanDuel price for <coughs> Joe Mixon is 8300 which is also pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Mixon's coming off back-to-back disappointing games. This won't, won't be much easier. It sounds like he's been dealing with a few minor injuries of his own. So we saw a little bit of Samaje Ryan last week. Uh, I, I don't think that either of those two guys really returns value, but uh, I think Najee's at least got a slight path to it. Where I don't think Mixon has got a path to uh, getting th- three times value taking that in FanDuel. I don't disagree with you. I don't like Mixon either. Um, but any any time I don't like somebody that's close to the top price guy, but I don't like the top price guy, I'm gonna I'm gonna punt him in there instead. Uh, Twenty one hundred dollar difference on FanDuel between Harris and Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's crazy. Who's your value play this week? 
Uh, I'm going to go to the guy. I think you might have had him as your value play last week, and that's Chuba Hubbard. I did have uh, Buffalo has been year. gouged on the ground the last five weeks. They are allowing opposing running backs an average of 170 total yards per game over that span to go along with eight touchdowns over the last five weeks. Now, Hubbard's stats have been limited by Cam Newton, but it also appears that the Panthers are going to start limiting Cam Newton's role. Yes. So hopefully that means that we'll see more P.J. Walker this week, which can only help Hubbard. So the reason I know that Hubbard was my value play last week, because remember I'm old and have bad memory, is because I'm pegging him again as my value play this week. So we have another match. Um, but the first name I wrote down that I wanted to like, but then it crossed him out, I couldn't do it, was Deontay Foreman. Yeah, I agree with Deontay Foreman. Um, you make an argument for Miles Gaskin if he plays. Obviously, the Jets are notoriously yeah. bad against the run. But again, we don't know per se if he's going to clear COVID protocols. <coughs> um, Jeff Wilson Jr., possibly against Atlanta. Whoever starts for Houston. Yep. Uh, Burkhead is hurt. David Johnson was a healthy scratch, I believe, last week. Or COVID. did he have COVID or something? COVID. So, yeah, there, there's there's value to be found. You can you can choose one of the New York Jets running backs against Miami. But I think Chuba is just clearly the easy play here this week uh, at his price tag. Yep, don't disagree. All right, wide receiver. Let's see what we can do here. Well, I'm going to pay up for my number 12 receiver for next year. That's Deontay Johnson. 7,500 on DraftKings, 7,200 on FanDuel. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, versus Tennessee. I love all of the higher-priced options this week, really. So I'll pay down for the cheapest of the best. Now, since week eight, Deontay leads the league in targets. He's second in the league in receiving yards and third in the league in receptions. On the season, he ranks third in total targets. Meanwhile, Tennessee, they've allowed 19 different wide receivers to reach double-digit PPR points. 12 different wide receivers to top 15 PPR points, and seven wide receivers to top 20 PPR points. And I shall add that through 14 weeks, okay, if my computer will act nice here, um, uh, screw it. Through 13 weeks, no team has given up more to the wide receiver position all told than the Tennessee Titans. Now, see, it just made me a liar. Hold on. Got to click <laughs> it because now it's showing them. Scott doesn't make sense. Why is it like that? So, oh, goodness, come on. Dragon, dragon, dragon. Okay, through 14 weeks, only the Minnesota Vikings have given up more points to the wide receiver position by a whole point three one. There you go. Yep. And so we match. I have Deontay as my payup also. And like I said, again, I like pretty much all of the top five or six or so guys, except for my stay away. Who is my number one pick for next year at wide receiver? And that's Stephon Diggs. You know, I'm staying away from Josh Allen. I got to stay away from his top receiver this coming week. Carolina is allowing an average of 11 catches, 129 yards, and just under one wide receiver score per week. To opposing wide receivers, not to opposing wide receiver ones, but to opposing wide receivers as a whole. That means that this number, 11 catches, 129 and one touchdown, will be split between Diggs and Beasley and Gabe Davis and possibly Sanders if he can go. Ellen, we talked about, clearly dinged up. 
Diggs actually appeared a little sore at the end of the game, too. He actually sat a couple plays out. Not the week to deploy Diggs this week. Well, we have the push because I have Diggs as my stay away also. Uh, but again, I was saying pay up for the top guys. There's other top guys. Cooper Cup is a good play this coming week. Devontae is a pretty decent play against that Baltimore secondary that we've been maligning about for like the last five weeks. Uh, Debo, even as a running back, he, he makes a decent play here. And again, obviously, I chose Deontay as my pay up. Uh, who's your value play? So if we match on the value play, we might as well just quit right now. Um, <laughs> I went with a guy that's cheap. Cheap, 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 because I like a lot of those higher-priced wide receivers. So because of that, I want to make sure that I can get them in. So i got to go cheap. I've picked Nico Collins as my value play at a whopping $3,500. Oh, we came close to matching. I actually I was going to put Nico Collins in. I, just, I kept starting. I started taking notes on Nico Collins, and I thought about using Nico Collins. Then I remembered that's like, you know what, I've been preaching the last couple of weeks that while I like uh, players like that who are starting to develop, Jacksonville has been fairly good against opposing receivers. So I kind of like said, okay, I'm going to uh, put a halt to that for a second, look at things a little bit more. And I settled on Marquez Valdez Scantling, who's a little bit more expensive, obviously, 4900 on DraftKings, 5500 on FanDuel. He's actually close in FanDuel price. Despite allowing only 44 receptions this year to opposing wide receivers, I'm sorry, despite allowing only 44 wide receiver receptions over the last four games, Baltimore has allowed a league second high 769 yards over those four games. That means that most of the receptions going against Baltimore have been of the long variety. Now, on the year, they've given up 14 passing touchdowns of 20 yards or longer. Eight passing touchdowns of 40 yards or longer. Those long touchdowns are Marquez Veldez Scantling's specialty. He has five touchdowns over 40 yards during the last season and a half. So MVS is going to have a huge day, including at least one huge length touchdown. So Nico doesn't have a ton of supporting evidence. Like you said, Jacksonville's been kind of good. But if you look deeper, you will see that overall they rank eighth in points allowed to the wide receiver position. So at $3,500, I absolutely think we get three times value. No questions asked. Uh, I, trust me again. I, I had him. I, I was doing everything to get him into my lineup until I thought twice. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, so let's see if we hit the over, even though I picked the under and we pushed already at the tight end spot, which is where I think we absolutely will. But we'll let you go. Who do we have, number one, that we're paying? I'm going to pay up for the most expensive guy on the board, George Kittle, San Francisco versus Atlanta. Atlanta has been middle of the pack at best against the position all season. Kittle has been absolutely ridiculous since Debo Samuel moved to running back, posting 22 catches, 332 yards, and three receiving touchdowns over the last two games. Heck, just since his own return from injury, uh, Kittle has scored six times in the six games since coming back. Yeah, so we have a match um, that puts us at the over. And you talk about Atlanta. That's actually who I'm staying away from this week. I'm going to stay away from Kyle Pitts on the road at San Francisco. Um, and double ding, double ding, double ding. There we go. Okay. Uh, since week two, San Francisco has allowed an average of three catches and 26 yards to the tight end position. Only three tight, tight ends have scored since week two. Uh, in fact, only three tight ends have reached double-digit PPR points all season long. One of those three being... Uh, Mr. Hawkinson in week one. So since week one, only two tight ends have reached double-digit PPR points against them. 
Uh, yeah, Kyle Pitts will be the featured part of the Atlanta offense, but good luck with that. Yeah, I mean, he could easily put 10, 12 points up, but it's not something I want to bank on, and that wouldn't be enough bang for the buck as far as I'm concerned. So that means we're going to have a sweep here. There's no doubt in my mind we have a match at number three. <laughs> well, all season long we've picked on them, and uh, I'm going to pick on them again here. Ricky Seals-Jones, <laughs> yep. uh, Washington's at Philadelphia. You know, Ricky didn't play a full complement of snaps. I think he only played like 47% of the snaps last week. Uh, John Bates actually led the team in tight end snaps. But this was his first week back from an injury, which had him miss several weeks. So I, I'm guessing that he'll be a little bit closer to a full go next week. The team will probably be without Terry McLaurin, which I have to assume should mean even more targets for Seals-Jones. And if uh, Heineke can't play next week, we're going to see Kyle Allen in at quarterback. And again, you're talking about young or an underproven quarterback. They like to target their tight ends a lot. So Seals-Jones makes an easy blow-up play. Wow, man, we closed out with a bang, matching on five of six picks from the wide receiver position on. Wide receiver is tough to match on a lot of places, too. It is, so getting two of them is pretty pretty telling. And then, you know what, it's not easy, although it seems like the value play has been a given all year long. Anyway, um, there you go. There you have it. We have um, given you our pay-ups, our stay-aways, and value plays, which we agreed upon eight of them, which is high for us. Take that for what it meant, what you may. Have any questions, of course, you can reach out to Harley on Twitter, at Nuclear Harley. Do the same with me, at Steve Gallo NFL. Of course, if you don't belong and not a member of the huddle, join because there's all kinds of additional information there. Not just for DFS, but for your playoff run that you hopefully want to extend one more week. And until then, you know what? You're in the playoffs, so go ahead and get blitzed. But get blitzed responsibly. Cheers. <laughs>